Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 221 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start today's show with a quote from Carl Jung. Your vision will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. I started this podcast for two reasons because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're well. I'm a little bit nervous. That's because my new play Crunch opens this Friday at the Brighton Fringe. It's taken me a few years to finish this play and this week will be the first time an audience sees it. And this is the scariest point because I just don't know how well it's going to be received. And often it can feel that way with a talk or indeed a book. You create something and then put it out into the world and keep your fingers crossed. But actually, for you, it doesn't have to be that way. Because I created the Speaking Club live membership so that you have a safe space to test and practice your speaking and storytelling so that you can step on stage or speak on a podcast or on a webinar or on a live with confidence in your message and your delivery. And that leads me nicely to my guest today. Verla Fortier and I have been working together since she wrote her first book, Take Back Your Outside Mindset. With a master's in health science, Verla is a former director of surgery at the Toronto's Hospital in Toronto and a retired associate professor of nursing at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. So she knows her onions. She's also a returning guest to the Speaking Club and she's back because she has written a new book that I believe will save lives. Now, in episode 88, her first interview with me, she shared her own story of what happened when she was diagnosed with systemic lupus just a few days before she was due to retire to her hometown of Manitoba. And that led to her writing her first book, to creating a podcast, and becoming a speaker and expert about green space. And if you haven't heard that interview, then do have a listen. Now, at around the same time that she received her diagnosis of lupus, Verla's lifelong friend, Leslie died of a sudden cardiac arrest on a three-day road trip. Verla couldn't understand why it happened because Leslie had been a healthy woman. The mystery surrounding Leslie's passing stopped Verla from being able to accept and grieve the passing of her best friend. And it haunted her so much that as soon as she was strong enough, she set out to solve it. And her latest book, is the result of that investigation and what Verla discovered about what happened to her friend on that road trip is shocking. I am thrilled to have her back on the show to talk about her new book, her speaking and to give people the full picture of how to better manage their heart health. Right then, let's switch over to the interview. Welcome back to the speaking club, Verla Fortier. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's great to have you back on uh, the show. And I feel like we've been on a journey together <laughs> in terms <laughs> of what we're going to talk about today. And I can't wait for people to find out more about what you've been up to um, and the new book. So I wanted to start off by saying, can you share the title of your new book and then also share why you wrote it? What made you write it? Oh, thank you. The title of the book is Optimize Your Heart Rate, and the subtitle is Balance Your Mind and Body with mm -hmm. Green Space. 
And I hope that that will become more clear <laughs> as we go through Optimize Your Heart Rate. Um, why I wrote the book was because um, my lifelong friend, Leslie, went on a road trip and never came back. She died on day three of her road trip, it was a three-day road trip, of a sudden cardiac arrest. Uh, when this happened, I was shocked. I couldn't accept it. I couldn't move on. To me, it was a complete mystery. Uh, this was a road trip from Fort Francis, Ontario to uh, Texas in the USA, where they had their winter home, her, she and her partner. They'd done it several times. They had it down pat. I just expected to hear from her when she got to Texas, and I never did. And this happened right at the time that you were finding out about your own health issue, I think. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so right shortly after, a couple of months after that, I was diagnosed just as I, I retired. I was retiring as a nursing professor from McMaster University in Ontario, and I um, was diagnosed with uh, systemic lupus, which is a serious autoimmune disease. So I went on my own journey to deal with all that. And so what, so it was, a, it was such a mystery to you. Why did that bother you? While I was researching, you know, and going through my personal journey with systemic lupus, I was always sort of noticing that as soon as you go out into green space, your nervous system balances out and so does your heart rate. And as a nurse, as a coronary care nurse and an emergency room nurse, I knew, I knew that if a patient's heart rate is in balance, back to normal, when that patient's doing nothing, we're good. Uh, you know, they're out of danger. We don't have to really worry so much. So I saw that a lot of this green space research affected heart rate. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll take heart rate and see if I can do anything with that. And if there's any short-term effects on heart rate on a three-day road trip. And that was almost the, the journey of the book, wasn't it? Yes. So you had some knowledge of the potential effects of um, green space on your well-being. You mm -hmm. knew she'd been on this journey and you described it when we first started talking as a mystery. So how did you approach writing the book? Did you sort of take that, you know, miss, try and unravel that mystery? What are the different areas that you looked at in terms of her journey? Yes, I mean, it was really was a detective novel for me. I mean, I when I was writing it, I just had this intense, intense desire to figure out what happened. I didn't know. <laughs> and uh, so I looked, I looked at all the things that might be potential villains in in Leslie's environment and on a on the short term in three days. And um to figure out what happened. And, and by the end, I realized what was haunting me and why I needed to write the book. When you say what was haunting you, what, what do you mean by that, Verda? I mean, I, I knew, I thought that there was something in that environment, which is not usually talked about, something in her environment that was different because Leslie lived in green space. And I knew she got out into the woods and camped and hiked and, and uh, she was healthy and happy when she left. And so then, you know, she was on busy interstate highways. What, what went on there? Another thing I wondered is how she was so darn smart. How did she not know that she was having a heart attack? Like she, when she was having her heart she just asked her partner, Bill, no, no, don't call 911. Just give me my aspirin. And so then I, I went to the internet and thought, how, how are other people surviving? And then a heart attack. And then I found uh, uh, stories of a retired cardiac care nurse, Robin Oliveira. She's an author. And she didn't recognize her own heart attack. She thought it was indigestion, just like Leslie did. And, uh, and another person was Rosie O'Donnell. Um, she 
like Leslie, took an aspirin and went to bed and was lucky enough to wake up the next morning, went to her cardiologist and had a, a wire stent put in her artery to keep her artery open. But so, so Leslie so was not is, alone. Yeah. So it's, it's quite, you know, I mean, I know, you know, heart attack is, is a massive killer, but it sounds like people are missing the the signs and that's what you believe happened with Leslie isn't it Mm -hmm. I think she was uh, so used to being tough like we all are uh you know muscling through things maybe not as familiar with what the healthcare system needs to hear to to snap into action a whole bunch of things that I address in the book but um I think it's an issue for all of us I mean when we have a heart attack, our, our thinking goes offline. So we almost need a script and we need to know what's happening and we need to tell others what's happening. And I mean, I want to delve more into what you found in a little bit, but I wanted to ask, did writing the book help you to process your grief around losing your best friend? Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really did. I mean, it answered all of my questions about how to move forward, um, how to kind of build a better world through Leslie's story, and really how to process the loss myself, um, and in some ways do it within this community, because Leslie was from the community, my community, and a lot of people around here know and love her, loved her. So in this sense, it's almost like um, you wanted her story to help other people uh, through this book. Yes. And, you know, Leslie helped me a lot and I helped her and she would have totally expected me to tell her story and to make sure it helped others. Wow. And you say she was tough. Can you tell us a little bit more about about Leslie and your relationship from when you were little? Because I know that you you were childhood friends, weren't you? Yes, her parents introduced my parents, like they were matchmakers for my parents. So we were always part of the large extended families for each other. And Leslie was like the older sister I never had. I loved her. And like I say, we always played out in the bush like other kids. Uh, that's what we call the forest here. And we built forts and we had a great childhood. And, and then even through the teen years, I remember... Um, one story I like to tell is that we were walking home from school and, and I said, oh, the student elections are on tomorrow for the student council. I should have put my name in for the sports rep. And she said, well, why didn't you? I said, well, because it's tomorrow and I didn't write a speech. <laughs> and she said, well, because she was so smart. And she said, well, I'll just write the speech as long as you don't tell anybody I wrote it. So I really didn't have time to practice it. I just read it. And then everybody in the gym stood up and clapped. <laughs> and, and, and Leslie wasn't even there. And then when we were walking home from school, she said, how did it go? I said, it was great. I won. And, and then she just said, you know, of course you did. Let's go play in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> she so she was like quite a yeah. character. Well, and she she looked like Liza Minnelli. I know you'll appreciate that because she, she was so good in the arts and singing and, and sports, everything. She could do anything. She ended up being a teacher, which I think was a really good role for her because she could do. But then again, she focused on the kids that were um, on the edge of the criminal justice system. And I know quietly helped them get back mm. into life. So if having got to the end of the book and as I said we're gonna I'm gonna delve into we're gonna go into a bit more detail in terms of what you found but having got to the end of the book and the end of the journey that you went on to unravel the mystery of why she died when there was really no signs that there was any issues if you could go back in time to Leslie what would you have said to her before she set out on that trip Oh, I probably would have said what I what I say to my friends now now is to uh, 
remember that at at home you have access to green space you're probably out there regularly and you may not even be aware of how much that is protecting your heart and putting you back into balance automatically so you need to build in some of that on your road trip even if it takes a little bit longer build it in look for tree-lined highways um, do stops even if it's just five or ten minutes and and when you're stopping and just being around a, a patch of grass it, at least your indirect sunlight which has all kinds of effects you're um, giving your heart a break and um, you know you're replenishing your mind and body so particularly if you're angry or frustrated about something plan to get out of that car and uh, just go for a walk or look simply look at at uh, green space and if you're in traffic try to take along a recording of nature sounds because even if you're even if you're in traffic and there's a lot of noise, that will help you, according to the research. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think people might have a question like, what's the difference between this book, this new one, and your previous one, Take Back Your Outside Mindset? And how would you answer that? What is the key difference between the two? I suppose the key difference is, is that this book is really about your life and death. And because the heart is so extremely, extremely vulnerable, and I didn't know this, to our helpful environments and our harmful environments. And this book is different in that I walk you along the way to show you how to use your own resting heart rate. You only have to do it for a minute and your heart rate variability uh, to measure how you're doing so that you don't have to guess. So in the previous one, I gave all the research and hoped people would get outside. In this one, I'm giving you the tools that I used and telling you how to do it. And I think the other thing that was certainly shocking to me was almost like how many things are effectively trying to kill you on this type of journey not like that maybe, maybe that sounds overly dramatic but the things that you've mentioned you know the pollution the you know the stress of travel the disruption the poor food you know there's on that three-day journey it was like a a sort of you know I think you call it a perfect storm um mm -hmm. and we so many of us put ourselves into that same situation was it was it shocking to you and then how from there how how did you find the sort of research to back up you know that, that sort of led you to see all of these you know nasty actors if you like in in this journey yeah I mean I guess a lot of us know at some level you know air pollution noise pollution that they're, they're bad for us light pollution they're bad for us, but you know, it's not sort of in our faces very much, but the, the very recent, so that was fine. But what I wanted to find out was what happens in the matter of hours? Like I only had not even three days of to work with. So the, the research on that is so, so very, very recent. You won't even, I had to dig so hard to find it, yet it's peer-reviewed, it's done at the best universities. But the short-term effects on our internal and external environments, like air, noise, and light pollution, they, and anger, they can have fatal, they can create fatal heartbeat uh, rhythms in a matter of hours. And that really, really shocked me. I mean, it really did. I had no idea that six hours in, um, in traffic uh, could, uh, could kill you. I, I had no idea, that alone. And then I had no idea that uh, noise, traffic noise, was an independent variable and that that alone our hearts are really really susceptible to to noise and this uh, research is just coming out as well um, in fact you know there anyway that, that's noise and then um, 
And then light, flickering light, especially at night, disrupts our sleep. Um, if we get light at night, you know, those car lights in our eyes, then we can't sleep. And then what that does to the heart. So, yeah, these things shocked me. And also I thought, you know, you're, you're sitting in a car for 10 hours. And I thought that that air filter would filter out something. But no, um, those little PM 2.5 ultrafine particles go right into your lungs and your heart, um, right straight in. Um, it doesn't help to roll down the window. Nothing helps. The only thing that helps is to get away from that. And so there's no filters. I think you can buy some now that you can put in the cab car, which says something. I mean, you know, people are now becoming aware that traffic emissions are right in, in your car cab with you. That's so scary, isn't it? I'm just sitting here thinking about you know, people who actually drive for a living and like lorry drivers and, you know, long mm-hmm. haul. It must be, you know, the fact mm-hmm. that this research is so new there's all these people that are putting them at high risk situations that they're just not aware of it. No, and um, why, why is conventional medicine? Cause we don't hear about this stuff, at least, you know, no. I know that's what you're doing is be, be being almost a bridge between this cutting edge re- research and the sort of lay person. But, but why is conventional medicine so far behind in relation to, you know, bringing this into our attention? Yeah. Well, I think people really don't want to hear it, but um, I think in the other, like conventional medicine is, at least in Canada, there's a new national program telling people to get out into writing prescriptions, telling them to get out into green space. So things are moving forward and they say, mostly say it's good for your mental health and it's good for all these different diseases. But in terms of what we're talking about, the really gory detail of um, what can happen in, the, in a matter of hours, like air pollution goes up, heart attacks go up. Um, that is not, you're not gonna find that in your doctor's office because it, it takes on average 17 years for research to get into our clinical practice guidelines. So it just takes time. And, and those of us who are in our 60s really don't have that time. So, but what's happening now is that what I think is actually very good is that um, consumers like you and me are going in and saying, okay, like we're used to taking our blood pressure at home, um, but not our resting heart rate. And we probably haven't heard of heart rate variability, but consumers are coming to their doctors like you and I and saying, well, my resting heart rates, this and that, and the doctors and nurses don't know what to do with that. So um, there was a really recent study done, done um, right in, the, in medicine at University of um, Los Angeles, no, San Francisco School of Medicine. And it was in 2019. And what they did was, are these are these reliable? I mean, these resting heart rates that we get on our Fitbits, Apple watches, and Garmin watches. And um, the result was that, yeah, <laughs> they did it over three years and, you know, 40,000 people and everything. So this was the first big study that showed that, you know, we can, we're, we're the ones that can look at our own, use our own heart rates. And that's where I get into optimizing your heart rate. So to circle back to your question, why is conventional medicine so hard? I mean, the research is not in their, um, it's not in their curriculum. It's, it's not, it's not going to be in their, in the nurses and doctors curriculum where they're learning for such a long time. So they don't even feel comfortable talking about this. So it's going to be a long, long time. And we, as patients and consumers, it's, you know, we have the ability to learn about this. Brilliant. And, and I think, you know, I think I remember you telling me something along the lines of the, the equipment that we've got access to personally now is almost as good as the top flight stuff in hospitals around, around heart rate and measurement and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what this study in, by Avram showed, mm-hmm. that 
um, smartphone apps compares with the gold standard of EKG. Um, they had, you know, seven, 70,000 participants over three years. So it was the first and largest study uh, on personal data. I know you've mentioned it, but just in really simple terms or as simple as you can, the heart rate, we've talked about resting heart rate. So that's when you're at rest, this is your sort of baseline heart rate. Is that, is that correct? That's right. And okay. it'll say on your watch, that's just, that's your, and that's what nurses, that's when you go into the hospital, nurses take your pulse. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting there. That's your right. resting heart rate. Okay. And so can you then take me to heart rate variability and tell me what that is uh, and, and, you know, how people find that? Sure. Um, it, it, in the simplest term, it's a measure of your body's stress, both um, uh, physical and psychological. So it combines everything into one measurement. And that's why researchers love it so much. And that's why it's such a great um, tool for assessing um, the results in, in, of research. And that's why they use it in green space um, as early as 2003, because it, green space improves resting heart rate and heart rate variability. And so, those so things that we mentioned, noise, air, light pollution, all those are harmful, are bad for your resting heart rate and heart rate variability, and it will show up. So you can, it's, it's heart rate variability is really your early warning system for something that is coming up. Like for example, my resting heart, my uh, heart rate variability um, was a little bit uh, not so great this morning before this interview. And so I know that that's because I'm stressed. I expect to be stressed, but I also have a way of getting back and testing it again. And I'm sure it'll go right back up into balance after this. So it's just, there's so much going on on the subconscious level that we're unaware of and heart rate variability uh, measures that. And just in terms of those listeners who are familiar with biology, it, there's a seesaw in our nervous system that goes up and down, up and down between fight, flight, and rest and digest. And that's the speedy side and the peaceful side. So this is always happening as we move around the world. And it's a, it's a teeter-totter, it's a seesaw, it's up, and, it's up and down. So that's what heart rate variability measures. And in terms of what it actually looks like, so I've got my resting heart rate. Let's say I take my resting heart rate. What I know, I don't know off the top of my head what it is, but normally they're, I think they're around 60 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 60 or to even 100, it can be, yeah. But around okay. 60 is nice. And so when you say heart rate variability, is that me taking my resting heart rate and then measuring again? And it's the difference between those two or is it something different i just want to really nail this down in terms of what it actually is that people are looking for oh okay so heart rate variability is um so complicated to do you don't want to do it i mean it's not even in the um hospital in there you know you see those screens where it's up where they monitor your heart rate it's not even in there so that's why nurses don't even know about it so I looked it up and the Harvard uh, Medical School says that the best thing to do is to buy a, a chest strap and you just click, put it around and then you get an app. And I did the research on that and it's the Elite HRV app. So all I do is every morning I put on that, that chest strap for less than a minute. I look out the window before I have my coffee and I, I press that app. And that will give me a, a score between one and 10. And it'll tell, like this morning, it said I was a little high on the sympathetic side. So I got a six. So that means that I'm a little high on the speedy side. I'm revved up for the interview. Um, when I'm going through a lupus flare and I have infection going on, 
it'll go down to a two. So the best is 10, which is how I was the whole time I was in Naples, Florida. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and I did it every day. And my son, who's in his late 20s, does his every day too. So everybody in our family does this now. (laughs) It's easy. Yes. And, and I, and I love that. So you say it's an early warning system. So can you give me some concrete examples of way? I mean, we've just talked about it showing up that you were, you know, getting, you were in that fight or flight for this interview. Have you seen it be a predictor for and your lupus, player, but in, in sort of everyday life as a predictor for illness, uh, either in the moment or that it might be coming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just as this book was about to go to press, I had some really good uh, information on this. And then another thing came up too. So resting heart rate um, alone and heart rate variability too are uh, predictive markers for COVID-19, any kind of chronic inflammation. And now they're looking at cancer. So, you know, it's, it, the more progressed your cancer is, the worse your heart rate variability is. It's a, I use it all the time for inflammation and lupus. And this um, Professor Michael Snyder, and just, this, just this title, he's the Director of Personalized Medicine at Stanford. So that just shows you personalized medicine. That's us. You know, we're doing our own medicine here. Uh, he, he diagnosed his own Lyme disease with his smartwatch. And so his resting heart rate went up and he he knew something was wrong. So then that's how they found his his Lyme disease. And he says the key is that before the infection or the illness shows up, your resting heart rate goes up. And then he was on Twitter again just a couple of weeks ago. He said, darn, you know, I've written all this work. I my resting heart rate was up and I thought, oh, it's just allergies or something. I got on that plane to New York. And when I, uh, when I got to New York, I tested positive for COVID. So, and he was negative before he left. So, so again, that resting, just your resting heart rate. uh, If you know roughly what what it is for you what your normal is and everybody's normal is different nothing's better nothing's worse uh you you know that you can use that as a as a signal so and there's a lot of other research that that shows that um you know uh resting heart rate um can predict covid but in like in 2018 um what caught my eye was that HRV, it was a study done by CESA and all in uh, 2018. It says heart rate variability is a predictor of sudden cardiac death. So like a simple marker like that could, can show the, this perfect storm that we talk about in sudden cardiac death. So it, it's, a, it's a predictor. Like if, you're, if you do that, put that chest strap on and your your heart rate variability is, is not good and stays not good then you know you're in trouble and you need to get to the hospital and so, so circling back to leslie then if she had been doing this um she might have seen this issue coming up and been able to get herself some help sooner um, exactly yeah, precisely. Wow. And even like uh, there's a study in 2013 that showed that um, a low heart rate, heart rate variability, low is not good for heart rate variability, um, showed that um, even the people that didn't aren't diagnosed with heart disease. So Leslie wasn't diagnosed with heart disease. If she had taken her heart rate variability and it wasn't good if it was low then she would have known that she's at an increase a 40 percent increased risk of having a heart attack or a sudden cardiac death and this is bears out in the research done in 2013 so so she would have known but i didn't hear you know she none of us think about 
what's our heart rate variability in relation to heart attack and sudden cardiac death? I mean, mm. it's just not, first of all, we don't think we're going to have a heart attack. <laughs> No. Yeah. So, Gosh. yeah. And and I mean, the thing is, this that's interesting to me as well is that you know we talked about conventional medicine, but conventional advice around managing your heart health seems to be just diet and exercise, which are obviously important. But if people, you know, have got a healthy diet and they're doing exercise, and by all things that you've told me, Leslie was you know, she got out, she got exercised, you know, she, she, she was okay. Um, we're not hearing about this other stuff. So we can think that we're doing okay, but we're not. Um, and you know, some of the stories that you, the people that you mentioned, um, that are also appearing in the book, people had no, uh, early warning at all, no idea that this was, they had no sort of warning indicators that they were aware of that this was coming. And no. it seems to be a question of luck as to whether you survive or not. Right. Yeah. That's right, Sarah. <laughs> oh, gosh, gosh. Okay. And I guess the other thing that I'm interested in, because so we're talking about two things here that can really help you look after yourself and avoid something catastrophic happening. And they are measuring your heart rate variability and getting out into green space and is there a chance that you know this information you know is being suppressed in any way I mean people conventional medicine or not conventional but there there is people feel like if they go to the doctor um that they're unless they're prescribed something they're not really being looked after so you know, is there, people need to see this as an alternative to, to medicine. And in fact, it could be as good as being prescribed pills. I, I don't know. I'm just sort of sounding you out on this. And I know that you I want to be careful around this in terms of what you're saying, but it, these pills are not always the answer, are they? Yeah, I, I think that um, pills are very useful for our heart, like digit, like digoxin, nitro, I mean, those are established. We couldn't do without those medications. And, and you know, big pharma is, um, is about pills and medication. I mean, that's their only role. Uh, and that's what their sites are on. And they're very closely aligned with the, with the doctors. And then us as consumers, you know, we like pills too. So I think that's sort of a virtuous circle. But this, I think, is, um, is a little different in that it's kind of coming um, up, ground up, like it's kind of a consumer revolution. Because all of a sudden, those of us who have, um, everybody has a, a wearable <laughs> on them. And so now they're asking their doctors and their doctors are saying, oh, um, okay, maybe, uh, you know, I need to, maybe we need to look at this. And those people that, that um, Avram and all that did that study on, um, on the reliability of our Fitbits and uh, watches and that data, they call this uh, a Framingham type study, which will mean nothing to people that aren't in public health. But Framingham started, can I just tell you a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it started with like the wartime president, um, Franklin D. Roosevelt in the U.S. So at, at that time, everybody, there, there was no idea that diet and exercise had anything to do with heart. And, and his blood pressure going in was, um, was okay. But as he, as the war went on and by 1945 at the Yalta, conference his his blood pressure was way up there like 200 over 180 it was so high but all along uh, this was not in the uh public parlance or in with the doctors his doctor kept saying oh he's healthy for um you know a man his age and um and meanwhile he was roosevelt was in a wheelchair all of his life so in a, you know, and he smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. 
he drank moderately and he was under a lot of stress. And so when he died suddenly, uh, two months after that Yalta conference with um, Churchill and, and Stalin, um, when after he died, that started the whole Framingham approach of looking at um, what people can do themselves and what they have control over that they need no prescription for. And that is diet and exercise. We can do that. And so that really was the beginning of preventive medicine. And that's what we're talking about here. It's people taking their health into their own hands and preventing you know, heart attacks, and sudden cardiac death. So they used blood pressure. So now everybody's taking their blood pressure at home. And I believe that resting heart rate and heart rate variability are going to be the next. And based on what Avram's saying, yes, it is. I mean, this is going to be um, just as important environment and your measuring your heart rate and heart rate variability in response to your environments will be the next big thing. That's brilliant and, and really, really clearly explained. And I guess there are some people out there that may be thinking, okay, um, first of all, what if I don't, I'm not comfortable with technology. I haven't got a clue. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a bit scared of it. That's the first thing. And, and the second thing is, oh my goodness, I don't live anywhere near green space. What, how am I going to protect myself? I live in a city. Um, you know, what, how do I sort of take care of myself? How can I take advantage of this, this green space if I don't have the opportunity where I live? What, what would you say in answer to those two things? Well, in terms of technology, your question, I think that, you know, we were all kind of frightened by a phone, mobile phone and texting, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, and, uh, you know, iPad and, and now, now we're okay with that. And I think it's, and now we're finding all the different uses that we can, you know, have for that. So I think, um, just give it a try if you're if you don't want to uh, have a, a smartphone or a smart watch or something like that you can still get that finger clip and everybody should have one of these at home and it just it, it's a ox it tests test your oxygen level and your heart rate at the very same time and this is exactly what nurses use in the hospital so you can just get a finger clip and which is what my sister does because she doesn't want to have a uh, a watch on her wrist so she has that and she checks it every day every morning at the same time and that is good enough um so the people who are afraid i just say um try to be open to it and think of this as your heart rate your resource your opportunity and that you're ahead of the curve and just take it slow be easy on yourself and give it a shot Oh. Um, and what about those people that are worrying around where they live after having heard us talk today? Right. So the research up until now was just until up until 2019 was you live longer if you live in green space, particularly if you have heart disease. And they always say particularly for the heart. So you can just see there that the heart is really, really susceptible to good environment. So um what uh, White and all did in 2019 is they showed that um, two hours a week in any combination of minutes or times in green space, you don't have to live there. You just have to get there. So you just have to weave into your life um, two hours a week in green space. And green space um, is not the wilderness or forest or anything like that green space is as simple as one tree and just looking at it so it doesn't have to be much but you need that if you get those two hours they say it's just as effective those two hours on your health as um, the recommended dose of exercise and of the effect of living in a higher economic status area so that's the that's how they can measure the health effects. Wow, that's brilliant. And, and it's also quite a nice segue because I know we've been a bit sort of focusing on the 
I'll say doom and gloom, you know, the sort of um, catastrophic things that can happen and the uh, way that green space can help prevent that. But you also say something else <laughs> that I wanted to pick up on is that uh, going outside for just three minutes a day into green space can make you more sexy. Can you tell <laughs> me about that? <laughs> well, could I I'll first say, okay, how how it works is that when you go into green space, your rest and digest system is um, is just automatically switched on, and that's what brings you into balance. So this means that your blood flows all the way through your body. It's not in your arms and legs ready to run away. It's just everything is right in your core, and that blood flows all the way down through your digestive system to your sex organs. So it, um, it engorges those areas. And so it makes you feel more attractive. You are more attracted to others. And the research shows that when you're outside, you smile more. And uh, it's no wonder. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so who do you think needs well first of all I'm going to say if, if there's one thing that you want people to take away from Leslie's story and this book what is that I think it's take the time to restore yourself and to protect your heart we often think we don't have enough time like even this morning I thought I don't have enough time I'm going to put off everything but then just five minutes before I went out and i did some little breathing out, looking outside at a treetop. So we don't think that we have the time, but the return on investment in that short period of time is so great that it's, it's crazy not to do it. So I would say, think of the return on investment and think about it just doesn't have to be long at all to get outside and then remember that you don't have to guess on how many positive and overlapping things this is doing you you might think you feel better but you can actually measure that you're mm. feeling better brilliant and who do you think needs to get this message the most because there are people listening to this who maybe sort of for themselves but they may also have friends and family so if they do who do you believe in in a sort of demographic uh of of people listening you know who needs to get this message the most well sudden cardiac arrest and death happens more there's a higher risk exponentially as we age like each year counts especially if you're over 60 although i must say that heart attack and sudden cardiac death happen in the younger age groups and often in in, in athletes so everybody has to be aware of it but all of us that are aging <laughs> are you know one year is not the same as the next year so we're more susceptible every year to it to sudden cardiac death it's a reality so if people know in their family, um, you know, making friends and family in that sort of age bracket aware of this. And I mean, hopefully, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, there'll be a link to your book in the show notes, but whether it's your book or whether it's other research, sort of getting there, getting this message across to the people that they love, that they, you know, that they care about is in that age bracket is going to be important because yeah, it's just yeah. not out there at the moment, is it? No, and, and diet and exercise is enough to, um, like, it, you know, yes, we have these genetics, but th that Framingham study showed that diet and exercise is enough to correct for the genetics, like, so you can have a profound effect um, through diet and exercise, and I believe the next face is going to be green space measured by heart rate and heart rate variability in fact there are people that are working on those apps and they say that these are going to be the next 10,000 steps you know how much green space did you get and, and what's your heart rate variability so um so even if you even if your parents or somebody that you love or something in your family is genetic 
don't think for a minute that there's not something that you can do about it. You do let this information empower you is, is my message. I love that. I love that. And, you know, this has been, I mean, people will know you've been on the show before we, we've worked together. And the other week I did a podcast on um, when you're an author and you've got a book, turning that into a talk is a challenge because there's so much material that potentially you could use in, you know, you are currently at the stage where you're, you know, the book is out now, you're promoting you, your book and you're using speaking to do that. How do you manage that process? How do you select what to share? Um, and also how are you planning to use speaking to get the message out there? Well, I mean, I had to, when I started to write the book, I thought I was just going to have to write a book, but then I realized that it's, you have to have a, a web, it's so much about marketing, it's, you know, a website, an email list, social media, and then once you write the book, you have to uh, figure out how to, how to talk about it, so it's, it's your question, Sarah, and my practice um, uh, that really uh, helped me to, um, to talk about the book, I mean, and, and I, I'm just starting, I, this is, this is my, first podcast my second talk it's it's so it'll I've got plans to and invitations to talk at the public library other podcasts and I'll just say yes to everything um to to market the book yeah and I'll use my speaking to do that and and I would say you know in terms of your talks it's getting that balance right between the the technical and the stories, isn't it, in terms of informing people and keeping them engaged? Have you found, you know, do you find that a challenge with with the content that you've got? Absolutely, because my book is like, you know, I, I just want it to be so rigorous in terms of if anybody in the healthcare field picks it up, because my, I mean, I, I think this should be in the healthcare curriculum. So I can go get very geeky on the on the research. And actually, that's where my tendency is to go. But uh, with your help, I try to <laughs> simplify it and, and think about stories and, um, and find ways to connect with the everyday listener. Cool. And I guess what's next for you, Verla? You know, are you planning to write any more books or is that it now? <laughs> I like I'm almost 70 so I think I'm just going to try to uh, this is uh, this is the big message to get out and it's um, I think I'm going to need I'm just going to work on this and keep working on it because I think it's I believe in it I think it's revolutionary for patients and and I'm I am a patient and um, I just think there's a lot of power in this uh, this research for each one of us so and I want to spend more time out in green space. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because this whole journey started with you wanting to enjoy your retirement and then getting diagnosed with lupus. And, and whilst that was a bit of a curse, it's led you to becoming one of the experts on green space and green space research and the podcasts and everything else. So sometimes life takes us down unexpected paths, but there always seems to be a purpose and a reason for it. Um, so yeah, you, it's, you, true. You know, it's, a, it's a big change, but you've, you're definitely on a mission, aren't you? Yes. And you know, the, now the lupus to me feels like a gift because it, I was a, through that process, I was able to sort out so much like, uh, you know, most of all, for starters, was that whole anger rumination that is completely taken away by going outside. And now I find out that anger rumination affects your heart rate. So two, two hours after an anger outburst is when the, the systematic reviews, the research shows that you can have a fatal heart rate. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I didn't know any of this, but every time the answer circles back to getting out into green space and freeing your mind, clearing your mind, balancing out your nervous system, which then is wired to your heart rate. I, I have one question, which is, 
I've been meaning to ask you, and I might as well ask you on air because um, I'm curious. So as you know, I moved to be by the sea. Mm-hmm. Is what impact does the sea have on your heart health? Is it different to green space? Um, you know, there are trees near where I live, but yeah. is that is that a good for you as well, or is it a different thing entirely? The the research is not. I I believe it's it's the same thing, and and uh, but the research is not as strong. Um, but it's there and it's the very same effects. Yes. Right. And, the, and the calming effect of they, they're able to um, factor out the calming effect of different sounds of water and what that does, like some of it soothes you, some of it, um, you know. So, yes, I mean, water is a huge uh, and just looking at water, like a lot of this research is just looking at nature. You don't even have to be in it. <laughs> so that's another reason. Another tip is just to put a, a screensaver of nature on your on your computer. But yes, uh, blue space, green space researchers would love to include blue space in it. And that is coming, but it's just not as far along as green space is. Brilliant. So if I if I walk to look at the sea and pass some trees on the way. I am mm-hmm. literally ticking every box. You're golden and you're out <laughs> in direct sunlight. <laughs> you just have Excellent. to pick the time of day. Make sure you go out in the early, like in the early morning, like when the sun is coming uh, or just come up. And then when the sun is setting, because then you get the advantage of that particular kind of sunlight. Wow. Now this is, there's so much to all this. And that that's why, I would encourage people to read the book because as we said, you can only put so much in a talk. You can only um, put so much into, you know, a podcast, an hour long podcast interview, but between the two books that you've written, there is a gold mine of um, not just, you know, sort of physical health tips and, and advice, but also mental health. And you've proved, I think through what we've talked about today and we've written that, it's all connected uh, mm-hmm. and you can't, un, you know, you can't unravel the two. They're so intertwined together. Exactly. Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> I'm sure you could. <laughs> Excellent. Now, is there anything that you feel you need to add to the conversation in order to call this interview complete? Well, I, I, I think that, um, if there's one thing that I'm like, Leslie would want her story to help others. And she was a teacher. And so I, I just thought maybe at the end of the book, I put a little mnemonic um, that would probably help her kids to remember this. And I thought maybe I could just uh, leave it with your listeners. And so it, it's a space. It spells the word space. And so S is for where we start is self-compassion. So if, if everybody could just like put their hand on their heart and, and just start with that and thank your heart for what it does for you. Um, so that's S. P is pollution. Air, noise, and light pollution. Plan around it. It's everywhere. We all have to deal with it. Just plan around it. A is for anger and all your emotions. Just pay attention to those emotions because they're directly linked to your heart and your heart rate. So A is for anger and attention. And C is for count. You know, just use your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability to count. And then finally, E is for your early warning system. You have one in your resting heart rate. And E is also for environment. Pay attention to what is harming your heart and what is really good for your heart. And um, I just say to your listeners, I, I hope that they have the opportunity to optimize their heart rate and get that balance that they need in, in green space. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, so tell us now, where can people go to, if you could remind me the name of the book and also tell us where people can go to grab a copy. The, the book is called Optimize Your Heart Rate, Balance Your Mind and Body with Green Space, but, and it's on Amazon. 
Uh, so, and it's um, doing well. As well as the books, as well as that, you've also got your podcast, haven't you? Um, and, and in that podcast, you often speaking to the people who did the research that you share um, so that people can understand it. Could you mm -hmm. share the name of the, the podcast as well? Oh, thank you. Yes, it's called Your Outside Mindset. So I interview researchers, I interview poets, writers, everything um, to do with nature uh, there. And I, and I interview the scientists that are particularly good about getting the message out. <laughs> and my website is, uh, is www.trees.com mendus.com just how it sounds like trees mend m-e-n-d us.com so that's a website and um on there is um are all my podcasts my previous books um my blog all, all my information and free tips um to get you started I'm brilliant and we're going to put a link in the show notes to that. And we'll also put a link in the show notes to the um, app and the uh, equipment that people need that you recommend. Because you have you mentioned that you've mm -hmm. done some testing um, yes. to, to make sure people get the right things. And we'll put links as well for those. Brilliant, Verla. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm, I think Leslie would be, you know, honored to, to have this as her legacy and it's it's a beautiful way to, to to you know honor her memory as well and um and well done for getting the message out there i think it will have a big impact on people's lives and who knows how many could potentially save so thank you for sharing your time with us today and and for for putting this book into the world well thank you sarah thank you for your help um and if there's one piece of business advice I would give to people it's to get a coach like Sarah to help you get this this message out I mean there uh th that's the one there's so much to think about and if you've got the person that's asking you the right questions um and, and a group to support it like I have in that in the speaking club then then you're away so I thank you Sarah for for your help and support and uh thank you so much that's very kind. It's, it's an absolute pleasure working with you. I learned so much. So um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again, Verla. And um, I will see you in the speaking club. <laughs> Thank you. I look forward to it. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and you got value from it. And I know I had so many aha moments as Verla went through this journey and we worked on the stories that are in the book. And I know how hard she's worked to find this research and to make it palatable for people who aren't scientists so that they can take advantage of it and implement it in their own lives to protect themselves and their future and also for their loved ones as well. Verla is such a lovely person. She's desperate to get this message into the hands of the people who need it through her books and her speaking. I am going to start checking my heart rate variability every day and I'll make sure I handle road trips differently in the future. Do go and grab a copy of Optimize Your Heart Rate and also touch base with Verla if anything in this interview resonated with you. She's active across all the social media platforms and I'm, I know she would love to hear from you. And as ever, do also go and visit saraharcher.co.uk. There are some great resources available to you and you could also book in for a chat with me if you want some help putting a talk together or you want that safe space to practice in. If you listen to the speaking club but haven't left a review yet or a rating, please, would you help me out by taking a couple of minutes to do that over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. Thank you so much again for choosing The Speaking Club and for joining me. It's great to be in your company. I will see you again soon, but in the meantime, as ever, you know what you need to do. Go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye.
Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week, we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.